Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Oh, how's it going, everybody? Ben O'Brien, The Hunting Collective, episode 78. We're back again. It's elk season. We're going to do something a little bit different for this show rather than the format we've been going with lately. I, I just feel like we haven't told enough hunting stories lately, and we had... Uh, we got you hyped last week for elk season. We talked to a bunch of cool hunters from around, but now we've pulled in three of our favorite meat eater hunting fools, and we got Ryan Cal Callahan, we got Joe Farinato, meat eaters community manager, and Sam Lundgren, meat eaters fishing editor, but also an elk killer, as you'll hear pretty soon. We want to just get together, tell the stories from opening day, tell our elk stories up to this point in the season. Compare and contrast. See what we can learn. See what we can find out. It was great, man. A lot of good stories. A lot of good chatter. So hopefully you enjoy it. But before we get to that, we're going to go talk about First Light. First Light, you're going to hear from Ryan Cal Callahan here in a minute. But if you go to First Light's website, you're going to see his early season antelope and elk kit, which I think is a good run for anyone looking to put together your kit. And we talked about we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast, but for first light, the men's wick hoodie is an essential for me and an essential for Cal. He's using the Airwool neck gaiter, the men's wick long boxer brief, the obsidian merino pants. Cal loves the obsidian. And he's got the men's Brooks down sweater, and then the vapor the vapor stormlight ultralight rain jacket. And that's what Cal's wearing. That's pretty similar to my kit. But if you go to firstlight.com, you can check out what old Cal's up to what he's wearing out in the field. Hopefully you'll enjoy that. Without further ado, episode 78. I guess I grew up on an older road. A pedal to the metal always did what I told. Until I found out that my brand new clothes I came second hand from the Hey everybody, welcome to the Hunting Collective. It's September 10th, right Sam? Correct. Thank you. Uh, we're in elk season. It was opening weekend, Montana. Latest I'm, opening weekend ever. It's good, though. 
It has turned out to be very good. That's a yes. fantastic thing. Uh, I'm here with uh, Basil of Beauties. <laughs> yeah? Cal's looking at me like... Are you going to mm. keep going with the bees? Yeah, Basil of <laughs> bust, Busty Beauties here. Uh, Joe Farinato, say hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. You're the community manager for Media Eater, are you not? I am. You read all the emails? Yep. So, Too many. Yeah. So be nice to Joe. You ever see him on the street because he, he's got his finger on the pulse. I do. And he's got the, the coolest beat of any journalist I've ever heard of. Yeah. What's your, what's your, tell him what your beat is. Tell him your beat at TheMeteor.com. I, uh, I'm the bad shit editor. <laughs> I get to report on all the bad stuff that happens out there. Bear attacks, wolf attacks, lion attacks, people getting lost. People getting mauled. Yeah. People falling off cliffs. Yeah. All Have we, good um, stuff. So send him that stuff and not your chafing photos because that was a bad period in Joe's life. <laughs> yeah, Joe's yeah. Like, uh, That was the worst period in my life. Yeah. I was going into a very dark place. <laughs> Joe is the voice. He's really the voice of the email because he reads everything. So before you hit send, just know that it's going to affect Joe's life yeah. tremendously. And, and yeah. please, please don't send me pictures of your chafing. Yeah, I mean, traumatic content in emails just to a stranger's just yeah, send that right. shit. Well, hey, Phil. I'm back on the White Claw meme train, by the way. I'm you, back into it. You love it again. I'm back into it. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I was off of it. Yeah, so was there a specific meme that brought you back? No, but there was a shortage of White Claws in America. Yeah, I heard recently. that. Uh-huh. And I got so many memes about it, it inspired me to come back onto the White Claw train. Yep. White Claw meme train. That so just stuff is everywhere. Um, my long road trip with our uh, shooter, Lauren Moulton who's been working for Big Sky uh, Brewing here in Montana for like 15 years, gave me the entire history of the hard seltzer. And Ooh. Oh, Big was, Sky started doing their own. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's been real good for them. And uh, yeah, I just had no no clue. I've got a story about it's White everywhere. Claw that we'll get into later when we talk start talking oh, stories. really? Yes. During your elk hunt? Yes. Wow, God. You did. You did really well. I mean, I'm like, I told Sam before he went elk on this week. I'm like, we're gonna do a podcast and recap our opening weekends, and he just hit it out of the park as far as stories go. I feel. Ben says jump. I say how high. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Uh, we got Cal here. Hey, Cal. Hey, Ben. Hey, I just saw a photo of you wearing. Can we post this of you wearing jean shorts, jorts, Daisy Dukes, yeah, Daisy de- Dukes, definitely Daisy Dukes, with like a frayed bottom. They're not Daisy Dukes if guys wear them. I mean, those no, are they, just they definitely are dude Dukes. What are they called? Um, well, it was a good... da- David Dukes. <laughs> oh, no, no, and the pot. No. I'm the, normally the one to say offensive shit like that. Thanks for thanks for uh, lowering the. No, we can't can't post that. I was just like a uh, raft guide reunion thing, mm. and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it was kind of a good thing. Like, oh wow, I can still fit in my same uh, former jeans. You from- wore those jeans for a period of time because they're like. Let me describe them. They're like they're cut off to about mid thigh. That'd be generous. That'd yeah, be generous. I feel like it's yeah. a ways yeah. north. It's a ways north. north. Yeah. yeah, it's in the upper third of your thigh. It's and approaching like, booty shorts yeah. status. And there's oh, like yeah. a there's like yeah. a frayed bottom. Well, yeah. So they they were you know just my kick around working guy wranglers for until they deteriorated, and then we had a big seventies uh, theme party. Oh. Um. 
So I I hacked them off for that occasion. Yeah, it's important to know the origin story of a photo like that. I just feel like yeah, and that that uh, '70s theme party was probably like 12 years ago, and I can still fit in to the jean shorts, <laughs> which I feel real good about. Yeah, that's a good weekend. Yeah, go to. Uh, however, you, the gut has gotten bigger, so apparently that I did just notice. Doesn't, I did yeah. notice a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of something going on there. Yeah, but I was a you know I, I'm not going to say I wasn't excited by that photo. For a lot of reasons. <laughs> I appreciate that. So you're never going to see it out there in listener land. Never no. going to see it. But just imagine what it would look like. I don't cow. think you can help but imagine it. Yeah, imagine. Let's just take a moment. Well, we're here today to do a few things. We're going to go through uh, our stories of our opening elk. And Cal was actually on private land when he killed his bull, but that doesn't matter. Um, it was not opening day. Was it opening day in Oregon when you when you hunted? Uh, well, I started the hunt on opening day. Perfect. That yep. works for this. We're going to go through it kind of a, in, a, in, a, in a different way. We're going to kind of go through each stage of, of how you get to, to a hunt, how you decide uh, the elk you're going to go after, how you make a game plan, and then the story of how it actually all went down. We're going to do that in some parts. So the first thing that I want to talk about is, is how you pick a spot and how you get into a situation where you're going to then find a bull, make a game plan, kill that elk. And so, Joe, you have a pretty interesting spot that you found. We're not going to give away anything about your spots. Well, I didn't so find it, so I can't. I well, can't give it away. You're going to tell us, you know, just just tell us how you found this spot, what you were looking for. Feel free to reference Onyx Maps because that's how we all find our spots these days, hopefully. Yeah. So my buddy actually found this spot, and basically from – what I gather, the only reason I got to go there was because there are so many grizzly bears in that area. He didn't want to go alone. Mm. So he's like, let's bring Joe as bait. So he gets eaten by the bears. How many grizzly bears had you seen during scouting? During scouting, we didn't see any. We saw a lot of sign, but during scouting, we didn't see any. And then when he went up there Friday the night before opening day, he counted four in one basin. Four. Yeah. And that's the same basin the elk that you were chasing were in. Yep. Yeah, the basin that we had to go into to find the elk. And did you see any while you were hunting? No. Saw one massive uh, black bear while we were hunting. No, no grizzlies? But no grizzlies. Saw a lot of sign, though. But from what we gather, they kind of moved up over into the, the other basin. So. so just to kind of describe the spot you were in in general terms, what's it look like? Uh, Very high mountains, kind of cliffed out with these really cool lower basins that are just filled with springs and wallows and lots of trees. Just looks elky. Elky. Public yeah. land? Yep. How far a hike in? A few miles. A few miles into the spot where we set up camp, and then we decided to dump off the backside of the mountain and go a couple miles further from the truck. So so give us a brief why you pick a spot like that, other than you saw a bull in there. Like, if you were, if they, it was elkless, why would you, why would you guess or posit that there's an elk in that spot? Well, I would look at that spot and say it kind of had everything they need, really good bedding areas, really good water feed, the the wallows and everything, the springs up there. It's that kind of awesome high mountain area. They're very secluded. Nothing really going to be up there to get them. Not a lot of people bugging them. Except for grizzly bears. Yeah, but the weird thing was he, he saw two cow elk just hanging out right next to the grizzly bears. Did that give you pause, cow? In a, in, a, in a spot like that, you got, you're two miles in, you got four grizzlies rolling around, and you got your... Your bear defense lined out, obviously. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you do, I mean, you should obvious. You should be aware if there's grizzly bears in an area, and and certainly pre-plan for that. If you haven't pre-planned for that, I wouldn't go 
messing around at, at this point in my life with trying to kill something that's going to take, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of time to yeah. pack out. Yeah. Let's say um, you got, you know, you're a local hunter or you've scouted a, a, a general, say a chunk of national forest, pretty good. You got your A spot, your B spot and your C spot. And you know, as Joe did the morning before you go, you spot four grizzlies, you know, in your A spot. Are you moving to B? You're just like, I'm going to back out and move to my, my B spot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, best best answer is is yes. I mean, the odds are, and from what it sounds like, a spot like that, if you're not seeing bears, they're probably there anyway. But you know, at least when they write your epitaph, you can be like, he did his best to avoid the bears. <laughs> he backed um, out when it was prudent. But yeah. the first, yeah. but the first line of that epitaph is pretty damn cool, you know. So maybe that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. That's true. I think so. Uh, but you stayed in. You you guys went in. Your buddy, Ty, yep. was in there. Yeah, and he filmed those there. grizzlies on, what, Friday? Yep, sending me pictures. Yep. Yeah. And then while we were eating lunch, he was sending you all kind of videos of grizzly bears. Yeah. You're, like, bring an assault rifle. You're we pretty, have company. You were pretty nervous. Yeah, I didn't want to walk in in the dark by myself. But yet you did. I did. Yeah, Got did. over my fear. Okay, we're, we're going to get to that. Sam, let's tell us about your your spot, like how you ran into it. I think we're all in a spot where, like, in a position where we have our buddies and other people giving us intel and all those types of things. But, yeah, I'd, I'd start off with, with saying that the, the secret to finding good hunting spots is to find good hunting buddies. Yeah. Especially since I just moved here and <clears throat> didn't really get to scout too much this summer. But uh, my good buddy found this spot um, antelope hunting last oh, wow. year. And then was like, oh, hell, there's a lot of elk down in here. Just, you know, at a... At, uh, various times of the early morning and very late evening, they pass through a piece of public land going from some farmer's fields up into some highland where they like to bed. So they go from private to private, but they pass through uh, a couple square mile chunks of public ground in there right at first light. And um, we scouted it out a couple times, got up on this <clears throat> high hill where we could stay out of their way. It, it's it's very circuitous and difficult to get in there because you kind of you have to walk a patchwork of public ground to get way back in, even though you're not terribly far from a road. Um, yeah, we we had a really good scouting session last week, and then went got down into the territory after the elk had left and felt it out a little bit, and uh, felt really confident in going in opening yeah. morning. And this is a spot where, like, you know, void of elk. Had you not seen, has your buddy not seen elk there? Is the spot you picking out on the map? Like, oh, I'll, I'm gonna dump in there. Never. Yeah. Never. No, it's not. And it's and to be completely honest, it's not really what. It's not really the kind of elk hunting that I dream of and aspire to. I really like climbing mountains and being up in the stuff Joe's talking about and and screaming at them and and heavy timber and and whatnot but we felt like you know it's hard for a large group of elk to exist in montana without people knowing about it and we 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 felt like it was probably going their patterns would probably change pretty rapidly after they got pressured with archery season opening so it felt like an opening day move that we might know might have felt it out a little bit better than other people and we could get in there and try to capitalize on this good intel that we'd acquired and uh yeah 
Yeah, seems like it worked out. Find your spot. Cal? Cal, your situation is a little bit different than than just running out on opening day, but I still think super valuable for for this conversation. Tell us about where you were and what you were what you were doing. Uh yeah. Uh I got a bull elk tag on a big chunk of private ground um that is owned by the Nature Conservancy in eastern Oregon out of Joseph. It's called the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve. A lot of people get a hunted every year, um, but there's very limited elk tags, very limited, or bull elk tags, very limited uh, buck mule deer tags. And uh, I had one of, I believe, four um, uh, bull elk tags. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. And so crazy opportunity. Um, There were other hunters out there hunting cows, but um, I was the only person out there with a bull tag and this time of year so their season started or i should say my season started august 24th yeah and the predominantly you could you could say all the bulls were in one spot and all the cows were in the other spot like they weren't really mixing it up and we actually saw like the first couple bulls run in and start hanging out with with the cows um did you spend a lot of time looking at Onyx Maps, looking at the property, talking to the guides, or talking to whoever, you know, landowners, trying to pick out, you know, here's the basin I'm going to hit, here's, you know, here's the prairie where they're going to come up. Did you do that, or was it just a, you know, get there and see what it's, what it's like? It was more get there and see because, uh, you know, this is like the, I want to say, other than like some depredation cows, like this is the only time I've ever hunted elk on on private land and um super cool opportunity and and one of the preserve so when they have folks with with bull or buck tags um their program on this chunk of private ground is you got to go out with one of the preserve stewards and um the preserve steward that i was hunting with this guy chad dotson he also had a buck mule deer tag for the same area uh, not on the same property, but same area. And, and you know, he was like, listen, we're going to find elk. He's like, if you don't want something pinned down, he's like, I'm going to go hunt this mule deer tag until you show up. And I was like, perfect. Because, you know, I just um, already felt slightly sheepish of how freaking awesome of an opportunity this was. And I already just wanted to avoid any sort of hand-holding situation. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah, there was no trick to finding elk. Like, showed up super late, as per usual, opening day, um, dropped our gear, assembled our gear, headed up um, onto one of the plateaus to just kind of get a lay of the land and um, look over, and there's seven bulls walking out in front of us and then we went a little bit further and there's six more bulls coming up out of the timber um you know and so that set things off as i wasn't feeling real pressured as to if we were going to find elk yeah, yeah. that's why i like going through it this way because then you you start to see like everybody you guys cal and you know the end of these stories you guys both killed elk cal and sam killed elk joe and i did not but like you you get into what exactly how exactly did this all start how did you get the opportunity to do this. How do you think about making a game plan of where to go? And there's so many stories. It's funny, so many stories where it it comes from a buddy or it comes from somebody you know that has already done the work. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, if you can just get a confident 
uh, this is the general zone. Yeah. That that saves such an insane amount of time. I mean, you don't even need like the, you know, how to access it, whatever. But if it's like, listen, there are a lot of elk right here. Right here. Yeah. Well, that's the hardest. I th- I think the hardest part about elk scouting, <clears throat> especially in Montana, being that most of the state is over the counter for elk. It's it's trying to pick a damn mountain range to go to. It's like, well, I heard this one's good, and I heard this one's good, and I heard this one's good, and it's so easy to, it's it well, it's it's so ha- much harder to focus down yeah. the picture. And then once you pick that mountain range, and it's like, well, hell, there's a lot of really cool looking high mountain basins that have ponds that are partic- like possibly wallows around them, and 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 I mean, I was doing that all last week looking for a plan B spot because what we were going to hunt was going to be, you know, we had one chance. We had one chance opening morning and we, it was going to, we were going to know in the first hour if we blew it. Um, and so we were looking for high mountain spots to go hike into. And I always, I always struggle flying around like to narrow my point of view down to a particular basin that I'm going to hike into because there's so much good looking country. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, well, I struggle at the, with the same, same time. <laughs> I almost hit a bull with my truck Thursday night driving to this wedding. Um, Were you wearing? You weren't wearing on shorts. X. Like, okay, this would be a good spot. I'm yeah. like, I'm not above hopping off the highway. Well, and that's yeah. exactly it. You you take every little cue that's available to you, whether it's somebody saying something at a bar, or you know, I started looking at a mountain range because my barber. The other day, the other week, uh, mentioned that there's elk up in there, and I started yeah. started checking it out afterwards. Or, you know, you're driving along, and you're like, "Wow, that looks like a cool place to go elk hunting." I sure like that. The dispersal of trees and rocks and stuff up there, and I'll just, yeah, just like you're saying, pull it up, pull yeah. off yeah. the side of the road, that's, pull up on X and mark something. That's what happened to me. I was, I had had a couple places picked out that were further away from home, and I got a pregnant wife and a son there, and I'm like, man. I got to find, especially for these first couple weekends where there's not really firing up, I got to find a spot where I can go in the morning or in the evening and, I, and at least be back home at a decent hour. Like, I yeah. got to do that. I got to have that option. So why not take at least the first weekend to find that, to look around? If it isn't there, it's not there, but I'll look. And I think that speaks to a big part of this is that it helps to know what experience you're seeking because I, I do go out and look look at trying to find after work spots and and easy accessible things when I don't have a lot of time but at the same time probably the greatest hunting spot I've ever discovered on my own where I've killed several nice mule deer and played with a lot of really nice elk uh, I found that by deliberately looking for a place that I was going to go for 10 days by myself and I looked for the the place that would be hardest to get to by road and then had the 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 area that was farthest from roads and motorized trails within that whole area. So I, I deliberately found like the, the worst spot to get to this takes forever from where I used to live in Missoula. This place is in Montana. It takes me 12 hours from where I used to live in Missoula to, to get there, but it's totally worth it. But you have to have like a full week to, to get in there. So it's, it's all about like, identifying the experience you're looking for. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. I And, and my story was, I'm looking, I'm like, okay, there's my house. I'm looking at within a half an hour radius. So now I'm going to look at what are my options. I pick one range. I'm like, that's going to be it. That's really the only place I could go. 
I could maybe hit this spot, this spot. I start looking. I'm like, that's just not, it's not worth my time to go over there. I might drive over there in the afternoon and just run the road really quick and see what I can see, but it's not worth hiking in over a day or even scouting, really. I got one real option. Um, uh, all I did was look at what is, and I can't get too far up in there. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be too far to get home at a decent hour. So I'm like, okay, what road can? What's the first road that accesses this national forest that gets me to a place where, you know, easily accessible? And at this point, it's like this. It bores a bunch of ag that I can run up through, check these drainages to know where these elk are coming out because we had seen, um, just like you were saying, from a road you see you know, herd of cows and a bull in August. You're like, okay, like that, that's a starting point. So we found this private road. We found where we saw some elk that were, in a like a, they were just in the, in a pocket of landlocked state ground. And then we rode up into the national forest and picked the drainages that we thought they were going to funnel back up into once they're off the ag and set up in the first closest one we could get to for Saturday morning. And, and it, it was pretty much on from there. So it was, we were going in there blind. We had never been, we had been to that spot, but never been in on that trail. So, I mean, it, you can either have scouted it every day, like Sam did, like um, Joe did, or be, I was fairly blind. You were fairly blind, Cal, in different situations. And so there's a lot of ways to get to the point where you're like, now I got to find an elk. And so, had you ever, Sam, ever seen the bull that you killed before you killed it? I hadn't seen him up close, but we we saw that whole herd. So I was looking at him from a ways off. I didn't like necessarily, you know, mark him or anything. There were with the main herd. There was there was one big herd bull, and then this one, and then a couple little raghorns and spikes. But then there was a big bachelor group that was kind of shadowing them. But I know I didn't like identify this bull. I didn't. I mean, I, it was probably less than, less than 60 seconds between when I saw him first and when I was putting an arrow through him. It was, it all happened very fast. It was very crazy, yeah. chaotic, sprinting situation. Joe, you've, 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 uh, we don't even want to tell people about this giant elk that you've spotted. <laughs> Sounds like yeah, everybody we, knows about it. Yeah, everybody in the <laughs> office knows about it. <laughs> Sounds like everyone Bozeman knows about it. Oh. Yeah. Or no, yeah, that's yours, Ben. No, yeah. that's mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, we, we saw a bull and we were up scouting it and it was like, that that's the bull that we want. So we we took that as we're going to go up there regardless of the, the situation because weather wasn't supposed to be great and everything, and high mountains. And we saw him and he got the, the drive going. So we ran up there and unfortunately couldn't locate him this weekend. Really? We, we thought we found the herd he was with but we got close um ty had him at about 70 yards that herd and he said the bull that was with him was different and uh looking at him from a distance we were all like yep that's it but we had a lot of fog rolling in and it was kind of hard to identify but unfortunately we couldn't find him we heard a couple bugles that sounded like his but other than that because the video just, you showed me like he was rolling on this like ridge top just just letting gorgeous. it go yeah i mean a beautiful yeah there's something about hunting seasons opening that make big, magnificent bulls that just you've scouted disappear. just disappear. They jump right into a hole in the ground somewhere and don't that, come that's out. That's happened to me a number to. of times where I've found bull, huge bulls in the summer, and I, then I come back in hunting season, and all their satellites are still kicking around, but they are just they've vanished. just vanished. Yeah. Oh, you hear the whitetail hunter like ah, old old stickers. Yeah, 
The Swamp Buck. The Swamp Buck. Seen it for four years. Yeah. And then next year he was gone. And then two years later he's up, he's back or his sheds or his mm-hmm. deadhead is found or whatever. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we've established that Joe and I are still have tags in our pockets. Um. Cal, have you told this story anywhere? Your elk story from Oregon? No. Um. I mean, it's I I got a bull. It was um. You know, you know, big chunk of private ground, so you get a lot of chips stacked in your favor, but it's still elk hunting and archery elk hunting. and Traditional um, archery elk yeah, hunting. Yeah, you take it to another level. Oh, uh, I don't believe in that at all. Um, you, don't if, think, you don't think it's harder? If it weren't an effective weapon, I wouldn't be hunting with it. And I just, I hate this culture of like, yeah, but let me define the fact that this is what I'm doing. I respect that. It's like, well, if it was... Well, this is like you've kind of... A lot of people like to talk about the struggle stick. Yeah, yeah. which I think is just you've kind of got asinine. The, well, you've kind of... You, there, there is, like, we've we've got the nomenclature of, like, you can't just be like, I killed an elk. You're like, I have killed a public land trad bow elk. You have to kind of line up exactly yeah, what Yeah, get your adjectives are. in order. So your yes. your adjectives are like... DIY. Pri- DIY private land trad bow. It's all... It doesn't even make any sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was like you were trying to make it hard and easy at the same time. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, again, like tons stacked in the favor. There wasn't like this, oh, my God, I hope the elk are still there. There wasn't any of this, you know, any of like the normal stuff of like somebody else is going to get in here. I got to make this happen. Um, but as like so many times with new spots, um, the first night was like, arguably one of the the best nights and and had this you know gorgeous big bull at uh, about 30 yards and was 0.2 seconds from uh letting an arrow fly and um you know and then he saw something he didn't like and and that was that and ended up just kind of like laying on this mountain until it was dark enough to try to get out of there without spooking everything um and but like big bachelor groups of bulls, zero cows, um, and that was like the difficult part where there were just so many elk. There you were never dealing with a single bull situation, um, and tried waiting them out as they were moving up to water and and better feed in the evenings, um, and you know had like some measures of success doing that like to pick out where you think they're going to go and cut them off and um and then you know just tried stalking in on a few and had again some measures of success and and failure on that as well and then um you know really it was like kind of a combination of both at the end that uh ended up shooting a bull so like snuck in yeah you got to tell started the, calling tell us or you're trying to film this and this is going to be It'll be seen on yeah. a future project with Cal's Week in Review. Yeah. Um, and gotten this great conversation, and we're talking with multiple bulls, and then, you know, there's one bull that is just noticeably bigger by sound, and it's just, like, super growly, and uh, and ended up uh, dropping in and, and getting on top of him, um, and I bet he had moved... 10 yards from his bed 
And, um, and I think that was really the thing I was able to, you know, super dry, crunchy ground walking on top of them and, um, would bugle and he'd respond. And I sat, I had watched him bugle three times broadside at 35 yards with just not a great shot. And then, um, walked in to about 24 yards on him just calling and every time he'd drop his head i'd crunch 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 and call and and you know he just was an old bull and didn't care about he knew the cow noises i was making weren't like serious love making noises because it just wasn't that time of year yet and he was a old big bodied dude and knew that the bugles weren't it wasn't anything that was going to bother him either. Didn't care. Right. So I just basically, you know, slowly got to walk in on him and cut him off a little bit as he was feeding, um, you know, through like 20 minutes of moving from 35 to 24 yards. And, and, um, are you crawling at this point? Or are you? No, standing. Really? Yeah. Just crouched walking? He makes so much noise crawling too. And that's like unnatural noise also. But like a couple of crunch, crunch, crunch footsteps. Every, could, could every he have, critter could does he have, that. Could he have looked over and seen, saw you, or is he like oh, down he, a ridge where he couldn't have? He he looked right at me a couple of times. Yeah, and I just I made biggest thing is like I never stand behind anything because that's a great way to observe wildlife, not kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just make sure I have a good backdrop. You know, obviously whenever possible, but. Um, and I have this big cliff wall behind me, you know, super steep, super steep yeah. country. So you're not skyline, you're not yeah. you know, sticking out, poking out. Yeah. But that's a good point to make people, mm-hmm. for people to remember. Like, hiding behind something isn't always the best way to go. Yeah, if they can see your silhouette, you're, yeah. you're hosed. But if you're if you're crouched and and have something behind you, you can look at them all day. We had some cows walk by us at like 15 yards, just crouched out in open grass. Yeah. I... I yeah, my story is very similar. Just like call a bull in, he kind of he sees you the first time, rolls away, call again, just then just stand up and kind of move with him. And they're not gonna they're intrigued enough to not to they're gonna need and, a good reason to bolt out of it. And them. frankly, elk have terrible eyesight relative to whitetails and mule deer. I mean, I've had big muleys pick me off at like a thousand yards. Oh. Trying like, oh, we can totally dip through this saddle and get up and around, come down on that muley's bed. He there's no way he's gonna see us. Every whitetail hunter, every whitetail hunter's listening to this knows that that when that doe steps out in the field, like the fawns come out first, and then the doe steps out like two hundred yards away and looks right up at your tree stand. You're like, bullshit. There's no way. I'm not moving at all. But that, that's it's like she can't see me. I swear she can't. Yeah, she can't. Continue, Cal, with your riveting tale. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, 
and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I mean, so, so that was it. I had a perfect broadside <laughs> shot at 24 yards. and uh, oh, I thought there was more. Yeah, I'll... Let uh, let an arrow fly and um, sounded like a good hit. Um, the bull reacted like it was shot in the heart. Um, like whole body posture changed. Um, you know, I just had that look of like crashing the whole time, and um, probably ran hundred and hundred and twenty yards maybe, and then saw it hit the brakes and make a hard ninety degree turn on a what turned out to be a game trail down there and what turned out to be a game trail directly above a cliff. Um, and it made a couple of steps and then I heard a major crash. And then like three seconds later, I heard another big crash. And then like five seconds later, I another heard, and I was like, Oh, sounds like he fell all the way to the bottom. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but he did. He went, 600 vertical feet oh, we think geez. to the oh, to the bottom and uh off several cliffs and it was uh terrible <laughs> did you lose much meat out of that you know surprisingly there was a lot of trauma um but surprisingly it wasn't uh all it wasn't as bad as it, like the initial impression was bad bad um but uh wasn't uh I mean, honestly, like you open that thing up and you're, it's like, man, just walk away. Like I even made the comment. I was like, man, I wonder if Oregon fishing game would give me a cow tag. Cause this is like the most beat up thing I've seen. But, um, I think all the fat that this guy had on him, mm. just all the fat was literally obliterated. It like, it's nothing that I've ever seen. Huh. Um, if I could post these pictures, I would. Because it is just like nothing I have ever seen. And I've recovered a lot of, a lot of animals. And, um, but like the fat matter was like busted down into like particulate size. 
and wow, um, distributed like, everywhere. Kind of just absorbed the blow. Do you feel like he free fell? He had to have? Or did he slide the entire time? Yeah, there's at least two spots where that whole, and this is a huge bodied bull. Um, that whole thing was airborne for, you know, <laughs> was at least six to eight feet off the ground two or three times. So oh, at wow. least at a minimum two times. 600 feet for those who can't picture it. Don't spend a lot of time in mountains. That's a f- effing long way. That's a long way. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but six hundred yeah, six hundred feet doesn't it's sound. Like, it's a long. So if you if way. I said hike six hundred feet vert, that's going to be half a it. mile. Yeah, probably I mean that's inside of a steep hill like that. That is a long drop, and it went so fast. And these are all like active rock slides, like big Hell's Canyon type country. Ooh. Uh, went so fast that, um, like there was like no blood. Um, there was you know it was just like active rock fall. And, um, so, you know, you kind of start second guessing yourself because there's a lot of places where that bull should have hung up. And, um, I'm always, uh, very hesitant to drop elevation, um, unless I know going down is the right thing. So, um, I was going slow and, and, and doing a lot of looking and, and it was actually the chunks of horn, like the pure white core of the horn that it was like the, oh, yeah, the bull had to come through here because this is where his antlers exploded on the rock. And so you're, like, picking up little chunks of antler on your way down the mountain. But, uh, yeah, you went went through that stuff. Um, Again, at times, literally not touching the ground Um, so fast that there was, you know, I was like, yes, he's got to be down this fall line, judging from what I've seen. But, you know, it's pitch black, and you, you always second-guess yourself. Well, that's that what stuff. it is. You shot the bull right around dusk, right? Yeah. Yeah, which I hate doing. <clears throat> and I've I've passed up shots um, be just purely off of that in the past because I just don't like dealing with it. Um, and uh, But I knew that there was an old uh, two-track road in the bottom of this thing. I was going to say, how the hell do you get out of there? Right. So I knew that, and... Uh, it was a great shot, and, you know, I had, in order to come back and hunt, would have been another 20 hours of driving around trip, and it's the last day, and there's a bull 24 yards from you, you know, so, uh, or last day of that hunt. So, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was just, just amazing. So it was, it was an hour and a half of picking my way down that slope. In the dark. Yeah, and to uh, ultimately... Um, find it about 150 yards from the from the bottom of the of the uh, canyon there, and and you know probably another hundred yards of relatively flat creek uh, crossing to get uh, get him to the road. So what percentage of his antlers were gone? I mean, I've seen I've seen kind of a couple of shots of him, but you well, think like I half of his rack think, was gone? I think he was. Uh, five by six or something in there. And this is just like an old bull that is, you know, heavy bull, but um, uh, he is now a three by four uh, with the, the, so he's broken right up, right above his brow tines on the one side and then he's broken. Um, yeah, he's broken above his third on the other side, but there's part of that split there so you could still count that as a 
as number four, uh, if you wanted to. Um, and yeah, man, it's just a good, uh, real good memory maker for sure. Hell yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people that talk about the struggle stick or not. There's a lot of people that hunt for a long time with trad equipment and don't kill any bull, oh, let yeah. alone practice, man. Practice. Yeah. Have you eaten any of it yet? Uh, ate the heart. Had yeah. some heart sandwiches, real good. Oh, this look good. Uh, I ate heart last night. Caprese. Oh, love them. That's what you got to do. Is that the thing you got to do the night you kill a bull? I'm not a big fan of like just eating the straps or something that night. I uh, I, I typically will will do it that night or the next night. With the, that night, we did a, a tenderloin just because it was easier. Because you know, get it filleting the heart um, and getting it nice. Unless you're just going to core it. Um, I like to take take my time get my cutting station all set up and do that so i i, I never freeze hearts you know i always I always have them early but yeah tenderloins typically my go-to for that night just because the tenderloins dry out so damn fast like sure. if you're trying to age the rest of your meat tenderloins can just i mean it's been more, more for deer than elk but they'll just shrivel up into nothing raisins yeah, yeah. yeah. ty and i had that conversation it's like very rarely do the tenderloins make it from the field to the freezer it's just like field and then into the stomach yes yeah you and then the heart caprese sandwich is that what it was caprese sandwich mm-hmm. that you did that looked damn good i yeah. think i might do that tonight i kept one of the lobes of the heart i would just cook. strongly suggest you do and, and i don't find anything wrong with freezing them because there is so much material that you trim off a heart Very anyway true. you know mm-hmm. so yeah um, so I've had good It's luck not that I it. have a problem freezing it. It's just that that's like my favorite thing to eat. Well, plus get started, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like I, I get in meat hoarding situations all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think best rule of thumb, if you can, it's like if you can let all that meat rest for 24 hours, that's going to be the best move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, man, tenderloins, there's, there's no reason tenderloins need to make it off the mountain if you're in that situation. If you're truly parting an elk all the way out, yeah, it just... There's a there's that, a decent amount of trimming on a tenderloin anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the difference between an elk and a deer, right? An elk, there's enough on a tenderloin that can make a meal. Oh, I fed four people on that yeah. tenderloin. Yeah. yeah, with the back straps, a whole different story. But the tenderloin for sure. Um, we'll we'll get to that. I want to get to like what we're gonna do with these dead elk, the two that we got in the room. Sam, we gotta hear we gotta hear your tale. Yeah, you've sure. set us up. You're in a very hard to get to spot <laughs> with a shit ton of elk coming through. Yeah. Yeah, not terribly hard to get to, just hard to hard to figure out, hard to realize that there's elk in there and I was surprised. I thought it was going to be there was going to be an overrun with with hunters and we we saw a couple other guys who were just doing it wrong and then they got out of there. I don't think they saw us. I don't think they knew that we had a bull down or anything. But um so yeah, we 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 got a good feel for it last week. Uh, and set made this whole game plan. I was going to be on the first ridge after they come out of this little creek. Jake was going to go down into the willows and try to be like in the creek bottom where they came where they come into after leaving the ag fields. But we we were hiking in and um, just decided to completely throw the plan out of the window. The wind was doing the wrong thing. It was blowing kind of towards them instead of away like we thought it was going to. Um, And we could hear elk talking in the creek in the dark. 
let me scroll this back a little ways because I prom because I I prefaced this. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> we we Don't left your, we left yeah. we both left our houses at 1:30 in the morning on on Saturday to be able to do this right because we knew how you know we timed everything. We knew the drive time, we knew the hike time. How much sleep are you working on? Uh about two hours. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Cause I tried to go to bed with like three hours and I couldn't fall asleep and and went and had a Benadryl <laughs> just to try to get myself to go oh. down for a minute. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was very woozy, didn't have time to make coffee. Like I, the first alarm went off and I was like, oh yeah, cool. I'm getting up and everything. Look at me get up. And, you know, having like a dream of getting up and getting packed and stuff. And then the second alarm went off and I was like, oh shit, I'm supposed to meet Jake in 15 minutes. And luckily, I had packed the car the night before, but didn't have time to have coffee. Just grabbed some stuff out of the fridge and wolfed it down. Well, I just brought it to me with the car, or brought it to the car and ate it on the way. Um, but yeah, so we we ran out there. We got to the spot at like three in the morning, and we 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 were a little early. And uh, there was a white claw in my back seat. Yes, and yes. We, and we just we decided to split it. What flavor? Black cherry. You'll never forget that day. I never forget. Every it. time you drink, <laughs> and, and, every and, time you drink a black cherry white claw, you'll taste <laughs> the rudding bull. He probably wasn't rudding. And Joe, J- Jake said something very prescient. He's like, "Man, if we kill a bull this morning, you know we're gonna have to have a white claw before we go hunting. Like every time, it's gonna be a lucky thing." And then You're like Sam, <laughs> Sam got diabetes. <laughs> it was. It, I, I, I mean, sitting sitting there like in the truck, like we're just like you know. We saw we wanted to be the first truck there, so if somebody showed up, we could kind of be be walking if we saw headlights. But we didn't really need to be in there that early. But sitting there in the truck, I mean, this is the most degenerate thing yeah. I've ever done in yeah. in my life. Let me just say, <clears throat> let's cover that for a second. What do you guys all think about? Because I had this, my story has this kind of on the tail end. But how you like if you have a a parking spot or a pull in spot. And you're either the first truck, second truck, or whatever. How how what's the how do you handle these situations? Oh man, there's there's a lot of etiquette tied up in that question. It kind of depends on the size of the area. Like I'll a lot of times, you know, get to some spot, and if there's a truck there, I'm like, oh well, hell, I'll go into the next spot just because. Yeah, I guess the better know, question is archery like, hunting. Just one person can disturb a lot of country. Well, even that. for even for you, Cal, like. When you're, what's the scenario where you will see a truck and still go in? Even if it's like a single, we had a situation where it's like a single trailhead, one truck can get into the gated portion of it. Like you could pull into the gate and walk the rest of the trail. So if there's one truck, it's pretty clear. Like you're not, there's nowhere else to be. And, and we, and I've seen, and I've seen, I saw this weekend a couple of times where guys would just drive to the top of the canyon, to the top of the drainage, and then probably drop in the top knowing that there's somebody in the bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like, what's the spatial awareness that you have to have in those situations? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I know uh, a lot of spots well enough to where, um, you know, I'll I'll walk up with people with my headlamp off, and watch their headlamp decisions in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and be like, "Cows watching." Okay, they're going this way. Then they're I'm gonna go this way and push animals that way. And I know I'll never see them. Yeah. Um, or the odds are I will never see him. Um, if you're walking in the dark in the woods, Cal could be watching you. Oh, absolutely. No matter. I have this phobia. Cal's always watching. You. Yeah. Major phobia of running out of batteries. 
And so I consequently basically never use anything battery powered. <laughs> like <laughs> I I've walked so many miles. That makes sense. In the moonlight. Me too, man. I've just been like I do that I do that yeah. very deliberately and all kind of, I a couple times I've kind of snapped at friends like, dude, don't turn on your headlamp. You're gonna ruin it my ruins night vision. Your night vision. It does. Yes. Like the dude with their super bright headlamp is is the dick of and they always have the to turn it in. on right in your face. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And avoiding your phone screen is important there too. That's oh, it. Oh yeah. It take I, I've read that it takes uh forty five minutes for your eyes to fully adjust mm. really? to low light mm, wow. situ- situations. So you wanna keep them, you know, keep them developing but yeah you you absolutely have to develop this attitude and it's taken me a long time but i i absolutely have it now to where i absolutely know that somebody's going to be at the spot i picked so if i get up there and there's a truck there then i just go pick another spot b b spot um but if there's not a truck there i'm like okay they probably dropped in here from a different direction, but at least there's nobody parked here. <laughs> at least, like, yeah, at least like walking um, this way. Yeah, if you're gonna hunt public lands, you've got to have a pretty thick skin about it because it's everybody's. They, everybody has every right to be out there too, and yeah. you're just gonna you're just gonna see people, and you just have to. Yeah, you to have it. to thicken your skin over. And like that. your you can't, situation, Sam. Like, it doesn't matter if somebody's parked where you guys are parked. Nope. Right, because there's that checkerboard of the public private interface. Like, there's so many means of access that you just can't account for. Nope. Um, so you gotta, you gotta just be like, okay, yeah, we're gonna dedicate a morning to this and and see see if we can get lucky. That's how I built my mindset for this. I was like, I am assuming this is gonna be overrun with hunters, and they're gonna blow out all of the elk before dawn, and then we're gonna go hike in somewhere else, and that's okay. That's where yep. that's we were yep. talking about that on my hunt. I was like, we're going into a place we don't know anything about. This is. We are I have the privilege of it being public, and we can explore it. Like it could be exploratory. How many hunters are there? How many elk are there? How easy is the access? Is this a place? Is this a spot, or is this just a place? Like, is this a mm. spot we would go back to, or just a place where there might be an elk? Like that is fun to me. Like, yeah. I spent my entire life thinking about moving west to like the first time I saw lonesome dove, or the first time I saw an elk go down. You know, it's the first time I thought about man. I you know. One day I could be like a resident elk hunter, maybe that might be cool. <laughs> and I finally got there and I was like feeling that, like, oh, dude, I'm just I'm here for this reason to explore this place to see if there is a spot close to my, my house. If there is a like, if I can have that experience, and I pretty quickly found that I, that I could. Um, but it's it's not a gimme, like, I uh, my buddy's dad has you know, he's a, your classic working man uh been working for montana rail link for his whole life um you know very kind of limited schedule weekend warrior and uh the guy's never shot an elk you know 30 plus years uh way longer than that 40 some plus years uh hunting in montana you know a lot of stories like that yeah Yeah. my buddy omar i was hunting with was telling me he had a a friend whose dad hunted for 40 years and never killed an elk yeah I think I've hunted Montana as a resident or on the, you know, the school, uh, li- the active scu- student license thing. I think I've done eight seasons in Montana now. And the first four, I hardly saw elk. 
Yeah. And certainly didn't kill any. That's where I'm. I'm like, and then the second four, I've killed one every year. But those, those, that like gathering of intellectual property is an important. I think, at least for yes. me, is like an important period of time. However long that lasts. Oh, absolutely. You could be super, really good at it, and find three or four hot spots in the first year, and be like, I got my A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, it could take you five years to find those those areas, depending on how good you are at that. So. Oh, like when you're telling a story, when you're telling an elk story nowadays, that's that's a huge part. And of it's it. also about acquiring knowledge because, like, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. Like, I had hunted a lot growing up, but I hadn't really, I mean, it was coastal western Washington mostly. I got to go on an elk hunt with my cousin in Colorado, but, you know, I just really didn't know. I had to figure it out and had to make a lot of mistakes and learn the hard way, mostly by myself and just trying to accrue the 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 knowledge of behavior and yeah habits all right we'll take us you know one thing before we get back to your story when you were with a buddy and you're walking in the woods how do you decide who goes first like walking first or who gets first shot it was who's easy walking f- first who's <clears throat> leading um i i think it's it's useful to have kind of discussions about who's who's the trigger man that day and and you know, I've had it go a lot of different ways with friends from, you know, Rochambeau to, you know, you had a stock yesterday, so I'm on today, or, you know, I called for you yesterday, so you called today. There's a variety of different ways to approach it. A lot of times it's kind of who, um, you know, if you're with a buddy who hasn't gotten elk yet, and I'm usually trying to trying to help them. Um, this, uh, this weekend, I had every intention and desire of getting Jake an elk because this is his spot. And he was kind enough to show me and, and take me there. And even like running in on the herd, he had an arrow knocked and I was filming him and just the way it shook out. He was, he went one way up the coolie. I doubled back because I thought there was more coming behind and I just, I was the one who got lucky. And so it's, it's, but it's important. What I'm saying is it's important to, uh, you know, discuss prior to the hunt. Yeah, definitely. What do you do, Cal? I, I really like to call, so whoever is with me is by default shooting. And there, and when you're hiking in, you're leading them, or are you following? Um, you're normally showing, so you're probably leading. I'm, I'm typically, um, I can be a fast walker too. So, yeah. uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I like talking to animals, so I'm always, Pretty always good at it. And, I'm the same way. Um, yeah, yeah. Now I think that it's funny to me because we talk so much about how much it. Like we've all we all hunt with buddy. Like you got a buddy with you. You got a friend and you got a hunting partner. Like how how that all works out, especially when you're new. I I was hunting with a my neighbor. We just met like three months ago. We've become super close, but we've just never been in the woods together. And so you get. I mean, he's former military man. He can ruck. Like he can go. Like so, how do you, you know, how do you put that all together? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're with a, you know somebody you've really. You've never been out there with like what's that like? It puts it puts a relationship under a lot of strain. I've had people go from being really good buddies to go hunting that we're not really that good well, buddies like, and anymore. And it's also like who makes the decision? He's like, yeah. dude, I think we should go if we just drop down in. I'm like, well, I think if we well stay that up brings here. up an important point, and I absolutely love hunting alone. I do it a lot, and I ha- and I used to do it a lot more back when you know I didn't really have as many hunting buddies and was trying to figure it out by myself and didn't want to be a burden on anyone. But you learn more by yourself, I think, 
And um, it's I really like not having to have the discussions of, well, what do you want to do? Do we, you think we should go up there or you think we should stay here? Well, what? I don't know. Like, And it goes back and forth in this circle jerk forever. But when you're hunting by yourself, you just follow your instincts. Make your decision. You just do go. It. You just do don't it. Don't have anybody second Do what you feel like doing. If you want to go chase that bull that's crossing the top of the mountain with a half hour of light left, you go do it. Or you yeah. don't if you don't want to. Yeah. 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 So no, that's true. It complicates then, it having another person there for sure. Yeah, and if, if it's a friend of yours, there's like a lot of you got to be kind of be conciliatory, depending yeah. on what the fr- yeah. you know what the friendships like. You yeah. got to be able to like work through some shit together. It's not like a guide scenario. Like this is yeah. what we're doing. It has to be a democracy yeah. on mm-hmm. some level. And so that that's a lo- big part. Of a lot of these stories is that like that's that's it. that goes back to what I was saying about deciding who's the shooter. Because yeah. once you do that, then that person is ki- can kind of be the hunt master and and make some of the calls. So yeah. I think that's that's, that's useful in that regard. If it's, as well. if it's your tag, then you know decision should definitely be yours mm-hmm. at some level. Unless you've already seeded it, like, hey, Cal, you're guiding me. You know more than I do. You tell me what to do. Yeah, I got that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, continue, yeah. Sam, with your tail. You've, you're half drunk on white claw. No, you're sober. <laughs> takes a lot of white claw. Yeah, to dude, get it this, takes about this old. I mean, Phil, how many white claws till you're feeling it? Oh, just just one half. Just a half. Just a half. No, it's, I'd say it's about <laughs> Jesus. It's it's about three three or four. He d- does a shot of white claw and he's, <laughs> so he's well, feeling squirrely. Three or four. Yeah. yeah. Joe, are you are you a big white claw guy? Dude, I love white claws. Drink of the summer. Drink of the summer. Yeah. Favorite flavor? I like black cherry. So when when black Sam cherry. said that, I was like, that, Can we all agree go. that That's natural natural lime is dog shit? Mm. That's a hard hard disagree for me. Yeah, black cherry is my I'd least say it's favorite. It's a soft disagree for me. Really. You like the yeah, natural. I don't think it's bad. First off, like what what unnatural lime is what it tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> Bull. Nice. So yeah. yeah. Well, we were talking about Lacroix flavors uh, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, you like pamplemousse. Well, it, exactly. Lime and grapefruit, okay, I think, are the best Lacroix, and I also think they're the best the best white claws. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. 
There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Checking out now. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, see you, Phil. <laughs> Stay behind the board with your pample moose. You drinking a pample moose right now? You ain't got it? You got nothing over there? Nope. No, okay. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, so anyway, um, we the the wind we got in there, we we hiked several miles back into where the spot was and um or w- where we thought we'd be able to intercept those elk and the wind was different. We heard elk bugling down in the creek bottom already when we didn't anticipate them to be there until first light. So we're thinking, well, hell, if we get in there close, one, they could wind us, two, they could pass us before shooting light starts, because they they're uh, they were on an accelerated schedule, likely because there was people coming in from a different angle behind them, which we found out to be the case. Um, so we went way back as far, almost as far as we could on the the public, got on high ground to be able to sort out the situation instead of being stuck down low, not knowing where they were coming, where they'd be. Um, and we we tried to stay very far, like, just on the the kind of the start of it so that our wind wasn't blowing down these coolies towards them and like not we 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 set up in like for the last you know hour of darkness first you know beginnings of first light and not at all like a an ambush situation we were just trying to see where they were we set up two different places and then looked at maps, started to be able to see the landscape, and then moved because it's like, oh well, we aren't we aren't going to be able to move off this spot without them seeing us. It's a good place to view from, but we can't we can't like move laterally without getting picked. It's still dark <laughs> while you're making these decisions. Yeah, and but like increasingly becoming light. Gotcha. But then we found a spot that we liked where we had a little bit of cover to get down into a coolie um, from this high spot, <clears throat> and then just saw them flooding. Describe a coolie for those around. Uh, a coolie or a gully or a wash yeah. or, you know, it's just like a micro valley, a fold of the landscape. Um, it's a good way. Yeah. Um, and so we got up on these got up on these rocks with some brush covering us, and there's another little fold that we could get behind and sneak down in. But then all of a sudden there's, you know, 200 elk coming up the, <laughs> up the hillside Dude. towards us. How and, many bulls do you feel like are in this 200 elk <sighs> run? Um like how many male elk probably a dozen or so how many mature bulls two there was there was a large herd bull right smack dab in the middle of the cows we and then just like a couple spikes and really spindly raghorns and then um but but like the the one i got was not with really that herd it was kind of trailing it but then we but we knew that there was a big bachelor group that we saw like 22 bulls when the last time we scouted it and we could see them on the horizon at one point on, during this hunt, but nowhere near public land. Yeah. Um, so so the, all of a sudden there's all these elk and we were somewhat pinned down. They came up a different route than they've come before. 
Um, but we waited until like kind of the big flush of them was through and we just weren't seeing horns except for that, the big herd bull, but he's got like 70 cows around him. He was screaming his head off. It was really fun. Was he just rounding them up or he just talking? No, they they were all pretty nervous. Like that, because they, there was people behind them and they were moving. There was, um, I, what I have to assume was a lead cow who was bugling which is very interesting. I've, I, you know, you hear people talk about cow bugles, but I'd never like really been able to identify it, but I had binos on a cow who was, who was doing long drawn out bugles. And oh. it was, we heard it in the morning. We're like, man, that is the shittiest little spike or <laughs> just practicing. <laughs> Voice cracking. Yeah, it's like, like, I feel, it's I felt like Simba. It was like Simba and the Lion King, like, yeah. you know, trying to ro- learn how to roar. But then we saw that it was a it was a, a cow who was kind of in between the larger groups and trying to keep everybody organized and get their shit together. Um, but they, the, most of them got by us. We and were kind of came around so that our like sneaky little exit off of our glass and tit was totally exposed. So we couldn't move. We were just like, you know, trying just trying to hunker down, monitor the situation. But then they kind of got behind full of the landscape and we're mostly looking uphill and I was like okay there's more coming those ones are up there and we just dropped down into the coolie as fast as we can just felt like we had an opening and it's like oh shit here's our opening go we left our packs we left like you know I had my sitting pad so I didn't sit on cactus and I you know I left that there and we, we both just grabbed our bows and ran that's another Probably not in your situation, but when to leave your pack. That's another like oh, really yeah, big decision. But but we wanted to be light and fast. We knew we had just this one chance at them before they crossed into private land. And so we just had to had to take off when we had the opportunity to do so. Uh we got into that coolie and cut up towards the herd. They started to kind of mill around once they I mean, honestly, it was like right after they got out of the right re- near the private land boundary. But they kind of were out in the open, and and I think we're like, okay, we left those guys behind. Like, let's regroup. And they started to mill around and settle down a little bit. Um, but we came up behind them. We were coming up this coolie. Like I said, I had Jake in front of me. He had an arrow knocked, and I was, I was filming him. And but I was also I was walking backwards for a lot of it because I knew that there was more elk behind us, um, and I was keeping an eye out. And at one point, um, I happened to be looking backwards as he's creeping forward, trying to get to a rise where some of those elk were hanging out. And I saw ears coming up behind us. And I was like, Jake down, stop. And, and we both just froze kind of half crouched. And we had a, a cow and a calf walk by us at 15 yards or less. Um, first light fusion camo. Nice little plug there. Um, and you were never thinking just shoot a cow. No. Wow. Jake had trophy, a trophy hunter. Jake has a <laughs> has a cow tag for right. for that unit, and so we 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 thought we thought about it, but you know, have opening a hard day, time with broadside elk. I do too. Well, I yeah, do I too. Gotta, yeah, my story. People but, might be mad at me in my story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of plenty of time. I mean, we we can kill cows until February nowadays in Montana. So um, I usually try to target bulls at least for opening morning. Um, but the, the way they came up, I was like, you know, maybe more will be following their path. And, and Jake really wanted to try to sneak up to the end of this little coolie cause you could, we, he could get like right up into that big old herd. He's like, oh, let's like keep going. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you, you keep going, man. I'm just going to like double back because of the way 
those cows came over the hill. I'm like, I'm going to get to that rock and see if I can just post up. And like, as soon as I got to it, I saw horns come and I knocked an arrow, uh, got up just a little bit more and drew. And then this bull just kept coming and, and I stood up and then he was behind some grass and walked and walked and walked and then came out into my sight window and I knew he was going to see me. Uh, just the way I was standing and I didn't really have anything behind me because I was just standing on the edge of the coulee and so kind of silhouetted against the grass. Um, but he was kind of slightly quartering to me. Not not a, a great shot, but it was like 22 yards and I, I let loose um, just because I knew he, he was going to have me pinned any second. I didn't really even think about it. You know, I everybody's been i've been talking to everybody about how my elk season lasted for 25 minutes but it, it never even crossed my i see a you know i see a branch handler bull elk i just have a very hard time not not shooting it after so many years of struggling so hard and having weeks upon weeks of not even seeing elk uh in the learning process that i just can't really help myself i just kind of get that get it get a really strong drive and um yep yeah, so put an arrow through him, landed a little farther back than I would have liked, um, you know, being quartering to, um, cause you're trying to push <clears throat> back from the shoulder a little bit, trying to push back from the shoulder. Cause I shoulder bladed a really big bull one time and watched him run away like a, you know, like a, you know, a, a picador spear in a bullfight. Um, and yeah, just, just you know that it penetrated an inch and stopped dead um so i'm always very fearful of that that's a and that's a delicate shot it's, when yeah more on a deer than an elk but when you got a quartering two and you're trying to avoid that shoulder blade and sit put that arrow in that pocket mm -hmm. that's a delicate like from shoulder blade to liver yeah i mean like it may seem like the big area but that's a delicate it placement is. of an arrow yeah and so the arrow landed um between the last two ribs um in in the i mean penetrated chest cavity, nicked one of the lungs, went through the liver, but it kind it also kind of ricocheted, it kind of clipped off of one of the ribs and and so it exited on the other side just in front of the ham. Mm -hmm. So just kind of the way it, it wasn't that wasn't like that wasn't the angle. It definitely got a rib and changed direction. So it did go through the guts, but it also, you know, broke the diaphragm. Um and he ran, he ran a little ways and stopped and I, and I, you know, rushed another shot at him. I guessed it was 40 and it was probably more like 55 and retrospect went, went under him. Then he ran a little farther and then Jake took a shot at him and missed. Um, but then he ran off and over the hill. Um, and, but I, but I knew I, I knew it was a decent shot. I knew it was a lethal shot. Uh, so we just, we kind of regrouped. And, and Jake's like, I'm going to go down there. I saw another bull coming and he, he ran off and I was kind of sitting there. Then weirdly a, a decent pronghorn antelope basically ran <laughs> up to me to shake hands or something. And Jake had a pronghorn tag, archery pronghorn tag. And I didn't. And I was like, oh, I should call him. Oh no, I can't do that. And so I started to like, kind of be like, hey, buck and tried to push it towards him, but that didn't work. <laughs> But Jake ended up getting about hey, 50 yards away from um, a raghorn that was broken off on one side, um, and, which is a, a long shot, a very long shot. Um, and he didn't take it, you know, which I think was a good ethical decision, especially having one elk 
potentially on the ground already. Um, but I waited a while and then just kind of slowly wandered the path I saw that bull take until I could see down into the next little dip. I saw him bedded in some grass over there. I gave him probably about half an hour before I wanted to kind of go see if I could see where he went. And I could just see his his horns and I was kind of behind some stuff. And so I backed out, went and got my, when I, I went and found uh, the arrow that went through him anyway. The other one I might still be flying. I don't even know. Um, and we, uh, and then I just kind of hung out for a while. Jake came back from kind of running around to see if there are any more stragglers. And I brought my jet boil with me. And so we, we had um, a cup of, pot of coffee and i also had some swiss miss uh oh. hot cocoa so made it into a, a hobo mocha and then jake had a little flask of uh pendleton whiskey well, and so that. dumped that in there so invented a whole new drink what do you call that uh we call it the nerve settler the, the bro <laughs> the bromo hobo mocha yeah i like that the bro the, ner- the nerve settler was what it was though because like i really oh, wanted to go and try so to take brutal. another shot at that bowl it's so hard but but where we where we sat down we could kind of stand up and like get on our tippy toes and see his horns um and we were we were probably 300 yards away but he was just he was bedded there head up feeling sick um and we had a pot of coffee with whiskey and hot cocoa and then went and checked on him again. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, you know, that rock pile, I can go way over there and then come in keeping the rock pile between me and the elk. And I'll be able to get, I'm like, oh, I'll be able to get to like 50 yards from that rock pile. And then I did it, got to the rock pile and I was ranging and it was like 84 yards. And, and he was kind of looking right at me. And I would have had to expose myself to step out and take a shot. And I can, I can hit things at 80 yards, but that arrow's in the air for a very long time. And I'm not a distance archer. I, I do that only like for practice occasionally. I don't have a rolling um, sight. So I, I'm, I'm gauging when I shoot at 80 yards, I'm gauging off of the, the leveler, the level at the bottom of my, of my sight, you know, and kind of like picking that between that, and my 60 pin. And I'm like, and he's like right on the public boundary. And so I'm like weighing my options. And, and I decided that it was a huge gamble to try to take another shot because if he got running, he could be miles into private land before he stopped again. And I just, I've had too many, you know, bad experiences. I lost a bull a few years ago that I think I probably pushed in the dark and, and had an amazing recovery another year of a bull that was shot through the lungs, but still managed to run about a mile. Um, and so I, I decided to sneak back out of there again and went back and we had another pot of coffee and hung out and, shot the shit and tossed rocks at other rocks and and just killed time and kept monitoring him and then one time i i looked up and he was kind of wobbling and then tipped over and so i i felt very badly that he had to suffer but he wasn't rolling around and screaming or anything you know it was just kind of sitting there like you know going septic in his in his guts for 
better part of two hours. So I, I felt bad about it, but at the same time, I felt like it was the smart thing not to push him, not to engage that adrenaline and yeah. just have him feel like he's just, because he never, I don't think he really even saw us. Mm-hmm. And the craziest thing is we spooked one elk out of that, those over 200. And it was that one, that little raghorn that Jake was chasing after. So we got right up into the middle of them and, and didn't really disturb the whole thing. And I don't think he really knew what happened or what hit him. And, just sort of went and slowly faded, faded out, and then we were able to walk up and and recover him and start butchering. And there's like there's nothing like being in in a herd of elk like that. Nothing. Two hundred elk running. Oh, around especially when like, they were just super mouthy and yeah. and a little nervous about people being in there. And oh, it was it was a cacophony. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah it it strikes me like in those situations, what elk really are. Like, they're pretty amazing, very gregarious you know? animals. Yeah, yeah, pretty amazing animals. We were talking about previous podcasts like some hunts you go for the country you know sheep hunting a doll sheep hunt interacting with sheep you don't get to do it a lot you're not calling to the sheep you find them you stalk it and you kill them most times you do there there are times you'll watch them for a long time but they're not as gregarious critters but when you're elk hunting you're hunting for the experience with the animal yeah and i i think yeah something i said to jake was like because i had um kind of tentatively planned a caribou hunt this year that didn't end up panning out and I felt like I got my caribou hunt. Yeah. The way very the way so. this all went down, yeah. broad, wide open country could have been tundra, sl- you know, mountain slopes, lots of animals moving in big bands or, across the landscape, having one walk like right up on top of me. I like I shot it uphill. You know, he was probably 10 or 15 feet above me when I made that shot. The arrow exited, you know, higher than it entered. Wow. Um and so it very much felt felt like a North Slope caribou experience more so than the elk hunting I typically get involved with. That's why I wanted to like start these at the beginning and like compare because a lot of times you're being camp with buddies you're hunting with, but when you're not when you haven't planned to hunt with someone, you need to like compare your situation to theirs, especially multiple stories. You can see how many different angles there are to take at this and like the different the different things that that happen and learn from those. Like, but it really is. It's it really starts with at the very beginning with why are you going out there? How much time do you have? What's this? What's your desired result? You know, what are you willing? You know, what are the structures you built? What are, what are you willing to take and not take? Make sure those expectations match up with your buddies too. Yeah, man, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a huge one. So, but Joe, your 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 story will be yet to come. You didn't find your bull. You didn't have did, any. Did you draw your bow? I didn't draw my bow, but I knocked an arrow several times. Uh. We were up really high, and the weather systems were moving through pretty heavy. Yeah, they were. So pretty much every time we had an opportunity on an elk, like a really kind of surefire, like this is going to happen, the the fog would roll in, and there were two times where I didn't get a shot at a bull because I couldn't get a solid range on them, and I was not comfortable estimating range in the fog. Wow. So you go, but, you but going, twice you're within going 50 back? yards. Twice within 50? And two, you yeah. guys hunted all day for two days? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we came back a little early yesterday because storm rolled in and it was yeah ripping winds up on top of the mountain and gnarly gnarly rain coming. So you're gonna go back? Yeah, yeah. Because this sure isn't just like a day day hunt run. You got to like commit to this one. Yeah, you got to commit to it. It's pointless to go up there for a day. You hike it and then have to hike back out. All right. So, Cal, what's your? You didn't. You went to a wedding this this weekend. You didn't hunt. Correct. But yeah. what's your? What's your? Uh, you got a game plan? I mean, I still have elk 
tag in Idaho and here in Montana. So I'd love to run back to Idaho and, and, uh, and hunt. And then I also have a buddy who drew a really good tag in a unit here that I've never hunted. Um, and I can, I'd be quite happy just running around with him and checking things out for his potential, you know, real big bull tag. Um, and, uh, you know, the problem is like, I always get a phone call like in November where it's like, you know, if you have any elk meat, we'd love to get some. All been there. And so, like, I could just stop right now. Um, but I already, I already have folks asking for meat too. So it'd be good, good to get one more, one more, uh, elk and then, uh, Yeah. Or, like, try to pick up a handful of deer, you know, fill some white-tailed doe tags or something like that. I'm going to need to get a new freezer. I'm going to kill anything else. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get this bull in there. Dude, I just went and bought a new freezer. I bought the – I was like, what's the biggest chest freezer you have? Like, bring it to me. And I'll, like, I'll pay the – I don't even care. I don't want ever to run into a problem. Like, the the chest freezer I got, you could fit probably two full elk in it. I just didn't eat enough meat this summer, I guess. I know. Well, you got Shanksgiving coming up, right? Yeah. You're going to have everybody come over and just eat elk shanks like the, like the freaking, uh, the (laughs) fair. Like they're going to the medieval times. Yeah. I like it. It's going to be a very caveman affair. Listen, we'll close out. I'm going to tell you my story. I want you guys to tell me if I made the right or wrong decision because I'm in a similar situation where um, I had a freezer fail and I lost almost all of my game meat, which was many it was a couple hundred heartbreaking pounds. it was it was it was if i could have had a funeral when i got rid of the meat i would have i mean it's just like once you've lived with a full freezer for a long time or at least enough where you know you have what you need being in a position where you have a little bit left is is it's it's a first world but very rough problem so i'm i got my first ever resident elk tag i want to kind of learn the country and get the experience but at the same damn time there's no there's very little meat left in the freezer. And so I've got to make the decision of like, what do I do? Well, the first morning. You could come help me butcher tonight and that's true, probably like, find your way into some elk meat. That's fine. That's all fine. The cow gave me some meat over the winter, which we're still eating on. And then like other people gave me some meat. Joe, you gave me some some bison. So yeah. like from what I had to what other people gave me, I was fine. But it's just a fucking feel the same. It feels cheap. I was like, I'm a cheap. Well, it, it's man. it's maybe not so much that it's cheap, just that you know that pride and just immense satisfaction of eating an animal that you killed. Well, and I'll also be honest. Like, my wife does a lot of the cooking. I do a good bit of the meat. And, like, I've just gotten used to the way that I butcher. Like, the way that I label stuff, the way the way that yeah. it's presented. Like, it just, it, you get used to the, like, get it out of the package. You know what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, and what, what, situation it's going to be in so there's that too but so i went out with a buddy close to home we go out and we park at a trailhead we've got probably a mile walk in and we're just really we've got one little drainage that that goes right into some ag where we'd seen some elk a couple days before the idea is that they're going to come back up into there we don't know nothing we don't know really anything about the drainage at all we don't know if it's prime elk habitat if it's it's something that they're going to move into so the idea is to pop in there see what it looks like, call a little bit, see what the activity is like. If there's nothing, we back out, we drive up to the next one and kind of try to, you know, frog leap our way down the ridge and try to get, check all these drainages that are running down into this 
really good looking ag and that's private. We jump into there. It's about 7.30 in the morning. It's Day has broken. It's fully light out. We hit the call for the first time. Complete silence. Hit a bugle again. Complete silence. And looking around, we've got some some timbered out cuts. We got a burn over top of a big ridge that's probably about half a mile from where we are that I'm glassing with a with a spotter. And my buddy goes, Holy shit, a bull, a bull, a bull. We look over and there's a bull just screaming through this timbered piece, coming down this ridge into the bottom, and he's coming for us. Like there's no he didn't make a sound, he didn't bugle, he didn't we didn't hear a him crash. Luckily he ran. I mean, he came busting through an open patch where we could see him. Drop down into this timber bottom. Now we we got to guess. We're like, he's coming to us. We got to get down this ridge we've never been down before. Pick a spot, get ready, get him to us. Don't know really how big the bull is. Just know it's a bull. We drop down probably five, six hundred yards on this you know finger ridge. Get set up. I'm like, well, I got 20, 30 yards in front of me. I'm kind of blocked off to my right, but I know if he pops up here, he's going to be thirty yards. And if he gets here, I'll see him. We sit down hit the call one time. We no longer hit, the, no more than hit the call one time. And I look over and there's the back, the ant, back antler tips of this bull coming up at like, he was 40 yards before I could see him. He's on this shadow on this ridge. He comes, so I get drawn. I'm like, I'm going to shoot this. I don't give a shit what this is. I'm shooting this bull. I get drawn. I kind of turn to my right. This bull's coming up on the ridge. He's coming up, still making no noise. He kind of does a couple glunks, gives us a little, mm, like, just gotta be close to hear that. Yeah. I mean, he's, 35 yards at this point gives us the first time I've heard any elk vocalization. He gives us like a couple of glunks and just kind of bowls up and he's behind a tree and I'm waiting. I can just see the top of his back at this point. I'm like, man, seven, eight, ten steps. It's money. I'm full. I'm drawn. It's just like I'm waiting. I'm probably drawn for five minutes and I can just see this one. I elk. saw that video. You were shaking pretty hard. Fucking, <laughs> by the time that video, by the time that video started, I had been drawn for what felt like a long, long time. I'm waiting on him to come. I'm waiting on him to step. I'm waiting on him to step. And then I look to my left, just out of the corner of my eye, and here comes a spike. Just <laughs> freaking, cr- just cruising right towards uh. us. So the bull is still behind some down trees where I could just see, I could see that he's looking back at the spike and he doesn't know we're there. He finally steps out. Well, he steps out instead of stepping out broadside, he steps out facing the spike. So now I've got a 30 yard shot of him, just basically his brisket quartering to me I'm like that's not that's not going down he's gonna have to cross where the spike crosses i'll just wait so i'm at this point where that video starts it's on social i'm like i've been there a long time and i'm waiting for this thing to move he steps down at at about 30 and starts turning broadside just about at that time the spike just at this point he's three yards from us so he he sees us smells us whatever who knows three yards it could have been any one of those things bust down the mountain but he only goes 30 40 yards the the five point turns around and goes back behind where he is. My buddy Omar hits the call. They turn around, come back, trying to get our wind. And I, so I just kind of mirrored him on the mountain. And the only shot, the shot that I could have taken on this bull, he comes back up the hill now on the other side of me. He was, he came back at 25 yards. I was kneeled down behind a stump. My buddy was calling and sees him come and he's like just stand up and shoot him he's 25 yards so i drew and i stood up well if i'd have been like six inches taller i could have seen vitals i had like his back straps and maybe the top of his vitals and in my mind in the moment i'm like if i let this arrow go it's gonna have to crest this ridge and to drop into the pocket and i'm just not 
just not sure of that that happening. And I don't want to hit him in the no zone. I don't want to like hit him in that because that's basically what I had to aim at. And so I'll, I just let it down and spooked the one I let down. And they went back down the mountain. We called them in again to about 80 yards and they stood broadside for a while. And then they had enough of that and they were off. And after the fact, I'm like, man, that's about as good of an opportunity as you're going to get that quickly. And I could have sent one or two arrows and been fairly confident. I mean, I feel like they were marginal, but I still could have been fairly confident that they were shots that might have killed an elk. So at the end of the day, I'm like, it's a marginal shot. It's not a huge bull, and it's opening day. And so you weigh all that stuff in your head. And when I when I look back, when I'm like, I'm glad I didn't just fling an arrow at this thing, not being not 100% confident that I was going to kill it. Well, you it. just said it, right? Yeah. An arrow that might have killed an elk? Yeah. You I'm don't saying, shoot those. No, you don't, you fling don't those. shoot those. So at the end of the day, like all those things go, went through my mind. I'm like, oh man, I've got, I need meat. Like this would be my first Montana resident archery bull. Like this is a, these are pretty rare opportunities to call a bull in and in virgin country that quickly. Um, all those things together don't, don't add up to a marginal shot. They just don't. You know? And I just think it's just the type of hunter that you want to be maybe. I don't know. But it's something that I've thought about for a couple of days thinking, man, that could have been a nice, just much like your story. You go out, boom, 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 done. See ya. And you got all the meat you need and you can go help buddies. You can go hunt deer. You can do whatever else you want. So Go um, fishing. Go fishing. Yeah. Whatever else. You know? I'm going to do a lot of fishing this fall, but I'm also really excited to call for buddies because I've yeah. worked really hard on my out calling skills the last couple of years and Last year, I bugled a bull into myself hunting alone, and that was transcendent. Well, and but it's just it's it'd be fun to go out there I'll and be, practice. I'll be I'll be left to wonder every unsuccessful day from here till the end of the season. Oh yeah, whether that air should have right. went or should have stayed. Could've just slipped it through there. There's so many horror stories of that though. Like all those start like, man, I lost this bull, and it was a shot that I didn't know if it would have killed it. So yeah. when you have those thoughts, you may have killed an elk and it's just you made the right choice the torturous part is you're so close you're like six inches away oh yeah you take three more steps and that happened a couple times in that scenario so it's all those things that go through your mind all the things that led up to that all it's like how lucky are we to step into a drainage and hit the call a couple times and here comes a bull that we've never seen didn't know was there we guessed that he was there we were like if an elk's going to be somewhere we think he's going to be here we had no idea and so all that stuff comes together and it doesn't happen. Man, what? There's a lot of what ifs, but like you said, Cal, at the end of the day, don't send it. Oh, man. No way. Mm-mm. No, you turn a good season into a bad season real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And you have a whole, you know, rather than what if. I mean, nobody like, yeah. goes, you know, great season, wounded a bull. <laughs> yeah. You know, so chase I was close. Him for, chase him for six days. Yeah. I watched no, him go lay on private, yeah. stare at me forever. No, nobody has a fond memory of that. No. Well, we got many more days. Only nightmares. We got a long time. A lot of time to hunt. I'm into it, man. I like, I like most stories that you tell. Well, we come into the office on Monday after the opening season. Everybody's tell a story, tell a story. I like to hear like the truncated version and then the real version. Miles was trying so hard to work. (laughs) <laughs> when we're we're all talking talking over him and yeah, around yeah. him about dude, ev- dude he didn't get to go hunting this weekend and yeah. was just like trying to focus really hard <laughs> felt bad how dare you try to work on the monday after opening day in the meteor offices yeah give me a break uh, no 
And then the editorial meeting was all Just, hunting stories. For yeah, the first Steve told his. Yeah. You guys, I'm sure, will hear <laughs> on the future Mediator podcast the story of Matt's bull and this weekend. But, man, it's fun to have almost all of us around hunting. Cal, of course, was celebrating nuptials, which is very appropriate. Not mine. Other, Not yours. Other folks. No, we're still, we're still, <laughs> you're never going to get married. Just to be clear. Just to be clear. <laughs> you're never going to get married. <laughs> Phil, what do you, you know, you're always the voice of reason. What do you take away from all this? Uh, it sounds like um, an experience that I would love to be a part of someday. Oh. Does that well, sound maybe, sad yeah. or pitiful? No, no. no? pickups was 46 bucks for a general uh, elk deer. If that. I think, I think it's 46. Cheaper. Whatever. If it's cheaper than that, it's only 46 bucks. Yeah. It's always like 120 for me early in the, the year to get just all of it. Dude, so I don't even, package, I have no yeah. idea what it is individually. Everything. Yeah, it's like 120 with all your for archery permits fishing, and upland permits and fishing. Bear, and, waterfowl, yeah. well, lion, wolf. All right. Well, hopefully you learned something from this. I enjoy just like comparing stories and how we got there how we made it happen, how we didn't make it happen, what we're going to do, why we did it. I think that stuff is is super exciting and just telling hunting stories. It's bad ass. So thank you, boys, and good luck to everybody out there th- this week, this weekend, the rest of the month, whenever you're out elk hunting. Good luck, enjoy, and we'll see you soon. I guess I grew up on That's it. That's all. Episode 78 in the books. Talking Elk, thanks for listening to our stories, our decisions, our good and our bad, success and failure as a part of hunting. So I'm glad that you were here to listen, and I'm glad to, to be colleagues with these gentlemen that sat in. So thank you to Ryan, thank you to Sam, and thank you to Joe for sitting in and sharing a little bit with us. Of course, next week we'll get back to the old format with interviews and new guests and, and different topics, I'm sure, but... For now, it's nice to stew and hang in elk season because that's what it is. That's where our minds are to meet at our office. And speaking of elk season, Remy Warren's new podcast, Cutting the Distance, that I work on with Remy, we have been working hard to get you some elk episodes. Episode four of his podcast, which was two weeks ago, is all about how to dog an elk. Last week was how to coax in silent bulls and another elk episode coming up this Thursday. So if you haven't subscribed to Cutting the Distance, you aren't listening to Remy's podcast, you're not going to get this invaluable elk information. And you got to go over there and you got to listen to Remy. He is a savant. He's a master. Everyone here agrees that he's one of the better hunters we've ever run into. And he's been an elk guide for the better part of his life. So he's got endless knowledge. Uh, and he imparts it on cutting the distance. So go over there and subscribe to cutting the distance. And you're after you do that, go to Mediator's YouTube channel and subscribe there too. We got some great new content coming from the whitetail world that I've also been working on with our boy Mark Kenyon. So stick around there. If you want to get it, you got to subscribe to the YouTube channel. One last thing to subscribe to is our brand new Whitetail Weekly newsletter. Go over to TheMediator.com and you click on subscribe and you're going to subscribe to the Whitetail Weekly newsletter. That's every Monday afternoon in your inbox new whitetail content. You're going to love it, and you're going to thank me. I promise. So until next week, enjoy hunting season. We're deep in it, and thanks for joining us. See ya. Thank you, Jack Daniels. Oh, number seven. Tennessee whiskey got me drinking in heaven, and uh, angels start to look good to me. They're going to have to deport me to the fiery deeps. Oh, to the fiery deeps. 
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.